0: Grab your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1, if you would. We're jumping into, uh, back into our series uh, from Romans, Romans chapter 1. Uh, I got good news for you. We've made such great pace through the book of Romans that next Sunday we're going to finish Romans chapter 1. How about that, right? Only 12 chapters in the book, but we're 22 messages deep uh, in uh, about, a, uh, about nine months or so. Uh, and we're going to get through the book of Romans uh, in the next three to four years, I, I guess. If you need to copy of the notes for today, would you raise your hand? We have ushers with copies of notes for you; uh, they're handing out as you come by. Uh, also, if you need a pen, they got pens in their hands too. If you need to copy of the notes or pens, uh, raise your hand if you would. Trying to make it easy to give you some uh, some reference materials to take with you, some things to follow along. All the verses I'm going to cover are either going to be on the app, the uh, the notes that you're getting here, or also if you want to use the HuiCall app, you can do that as well. Uh, just uh, if anybody else need a copy of the notes or uh, a pen, on the Two right here in the middle section uh, when you guys make it over here. Also, some of you I see, I noticed this this morning during our song service, you figured out the Baptist filing system. You take your stuff for today and you open the back of your Bible and you shove it in and eventually it makes a stack so large you can barely keep your Bible shut. Uh, And so that's the Baptist filing system. You can pull stuff out of there when you need it. But uh, anyways, uh, there's more more paper to go in your Bible if you need. Uh, Anybody else need a copy of the notes uh, or a pen today? i one on the back row there and I think we're good to go. Romans chapter 1, probably one of the most difficult passages of Scripture in the New Testament because it's just so hard and it doesn't let up. Uh, we started in verse number 18 is where we'll start today, and we find that the process of Romans chapter 1, it starts off really bad, or it starts off bad, then it gets really bad, then it gets very, very bad, then it gets worse, and then it gets progressively worse, and then it gets awful, and then it gets really, really dark, and then the darkness, there's no light left, and it gets even darker. And it doesn't let up. I mean, verse 18 to 31, it just gets bad to worse. And you'll see that as we go through this uh, this morning. But uh, as with everything in the Bible where there's darkness, that's where the light shines the the brightest. And uh, that's the great news of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, we're going to start in verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So again, they know who God is, they don't want to follow God, they don't want to obey God, and their heart becomes darkened. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and Changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made it like unto corruptible man, and to birds and four footed beasts and creeping things. And here we see a phrase that we're going to see uh, three different times through this passage. God gave them up unto uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burning their lusts towards one another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. ...to do those things which are not convenient. ...being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness... ...full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God... ...despiteful, proud, boasters, inventor of evil thing, disobedient to parents... ...without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful... ...who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And we begin to see in this passage here, starting in verse number 18, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And we begin to see the downward spiral of man. Again, it starts bad, and it just gets progressively worse until there is literally no hope left. And that's the path that mankind is on apart from Jesus Christ. Now, let me just say before we start into this passage, this morning, this passage in Romans chapter 1 is talking about the unsaved man, those who don't know Christ as Savior, those that are apart from Jesus Christ. But there's a little bit of overlap, as you can imagine, the destructive nature of sin in the life of a Christian who also chooses to be rebellious against God as well. There's going to be a little bit of overlap, but primarily this is talking about the the sinner who is separate from God. First of all, we see in verse number 18 and 19, the sinner knows of God. Again, God doesn't believe in atheists. The Bible says that he's revealed himself unto all men so that all men are without excuse. And So God reveals himself to the sinner, but the sinner then chooses to not glorify God. And so I know that there's a God. I know who he is. I know what he expects of me, but I don't want to follow him. I just want to do my own thing. I just want to go my own way. I don't want to live with any types of rules, regulations, no oversight, no accountability, no culpability, no responsibility. I just want to do my own thing. Then we see the sinner exchanges God for idols, verse number 23. When you push God to the side, you must make something a priority in your life. When we take God out of his rightful place as God and replace him with something, we have given over to idolatry. Now, sometimes when people think of idols, they think, first of all, of statues that are made. We're not talking about statues here. If you have statues that you bow down to in your house, throw them in the garbage and move on with your life. Most of us don't struggle with bowing down to statues. We struggle with bowing down to the things of this world. They might not even on the surface be bad things. They might even actually be good things. But generally the problem with idolatry creeps into our life when we take good things and we make them God things. For example, family. Family's not a bad thing. Family's a good thing. It's a gift from God uh, to have family. You should love your family and care for your family. But when we say things like, God is less important to me than my family is. My family comes first. And while well, we might not ever actually say that. Our actions bear that out. For example, like, like I can't make it to church because uh, we need family time. We're going to go on a camping trip, and we're going to miss church for a month or two months. Or uh, part of a uh, uh, you know, traveling sports team that travels on the weekends. We can't make it to church. You've taken the gathering of the assembled body of Christ, and you've replaced it with sports. You say, I'm too tired, or I'm too busy throughout the week. Sunday's my day of rest. It's my day off. You've placed rest uh, above God, and now rest becomes your idol. When you begin to pursue the things of this world, whether it be your career or education or status or uh, promotion and things like that, to the expense of the things of God, you've replaced God with who he is with an idol that can never satisfy. And the heart of mankind requires something to worship. It has to. So when you take God out of his rightful place, you've got to put something there in its place. You have to. And again, we're prone to do this even as Christians, that God doesn't satisfy, so I have to find something that will. Whether it's a television show, whether it's food, whether it's alcohol or drugs, whether it's sexual relationships or sexual immorality or pornography, I have this aching longing in my soul that needs to be filled by something other than God, obviously. So we create idols and we think we'll find satisfaction only to find that we're disappointed every single time there. So the sinner exchanges God for idols. Then here's the worst part. Again, in verse number 24, we see that phrase. God gave them up to the uncleanness through their lusts. So God gives the sinner up to his lusts. God no longer restrains or tries to hold back. You want to go after sin, God says, fine, go. Have as much as you want. Be unrestrained. Like a a pig in a feeding trough. Like, have as much sin as you want. Eat until your insides burst for all I care. God says, go to it, have at it. You can have as much sin as you want. And unfortunately, the sinful man delights in sin. He wants that. He finds satisfaction for a brief period of time in that sin. And he begins to go deeper and deeper. And then the sinner dishonors and defiles themselves Sexual depravity is an indication of a, a nation given over to idolatry. And again, we see that in our society today, whether it be the hypersexualization of everything, the sexualization of even children, the homosexuality, again, is a, a, a indication of idolatry in our society today, according to Romans chapter 1. Because God gave them up into their vile affections to. Sexual depravity, men with men, ladies with ladies, according to uh, this passage of Scripture here. And they dishonor and they defile themselves. Then, here's the worst part that we get down to in verse number 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, the sinner no longer even acknowledges that God exists. There was a time where they felt guilty for what they had done. There was a time where they felt badly for their sin. But they didn't want to follow God. So what did they do? They changed the truth of God into a lie. And then there gets to the point where finally, they're so enamored by their own sin that they forget God altogether. God doesn't even factor into the equation anymore. There was a time where we tried to dismiss it. There was a time where we tried to replace God. There was a time where we tried to make up stories to make us feel better about our sin. All that's gone out the window now. Now we are fully given over to our sin. And they, when it says they did not retain God in their knowledge, they've forgotten about God altogether. God isn't an, an afterthought for them. He's no thought at all. And they're completely and totally given over to their sin. And what happens? Well, we take a look at verse number um, Uh, Where are we at? Verse number uh, 21. The end of verse number 21, their foolish heart was darkened. And then verse number 28, God gave them over to a reprobate. The word reprobate means corrupt mind. So their heart is dark, their mind is corrupt. And this is where they live. No light, no desire for righteousness, no desire to do the right thing, no desire to honor God, no desire to turn back to God. Just sin continually. And next week we're going to take a look at what the fruit of that looks like. And if just kind of give you a head start, verses 29, 30, and 31 just continues to outline what happens when we're given over to a corrupt mind and a dark heart. So it's important to understand by way of introduction this morning that we need to be really careful what comes in our heart and minds, because our belief determines our behavior. Whatever you believe to be true will shape the way that you live your life. You might write it this way too. Bad doctrine equals bad behavior. So think about it this way. Let's just say we're trying to be, quote, American Christians. The Americanized, bastardized version of American Christianity says that God wants you to be happy. First of all, let me just say from the beginning that's not the true gospel. But let's just say, for the sake of this example, that we've bought into a socialized, culturalized God who wants nothing more than you and I to be happy. God is this old dude with a really long beard that sits in a rocking chair and he hands out Skittles to his grandkids. He just wants you to have an ice cream cone, even though you haven't eaten your vegetables. He just wants you to be happy, whatever that means. You want that new job, you deserve to have it because God doesn't do anything but give good stuff to his kids. You want that new car, you just need to declare it in the name of Jesus and those keys will be in your pocket in no time. You want that job, you're going to get it. All you have to do is declare it in the name of Jesus because God just wants you to be happy. So when unhappiness comes in your life, Well, that's not of God. That must be of the devil and and satanic influence. And I'm going to bind the devil. I'm going to bind satanic influence. And I'm going to bind generational curses on me because God just wants me to be happy. And that shapes all of my behavior. But then, guess what? Life comes and I'm not happy. Well, God wants me to be happy, so something must be broken somewhere. And then... One can get away with saying things like, hey, I'm gonna leave my wife because she no longer makes me happy. And of course, you know, God wouldn't want me to be unhappy, right? Because the logical conclusion is everything then becomes about happiness. Look, there is a philosophy of chasing pleasure. You know what it's called? Hedonism. And it's the anti bible It's the anti-Christian. It's an anti-Christ behavior that we just chase after pleasure. But if you believe that God exists to make you happy, then your behavior will determine that. But let's say you have a biblical view of who God is, and God expects you to glorify him. That's God's number one goal. It's not your happiness, my happiness. God's number one goal is his glory then I live every single day with this belief, which impacts my behavior, is that God wants to be glorified through my life. So if I'm having a crummy day, it's not a matter of like, well, God's mad at me because I should be happy today. It's a matter of, no, I'm having a crummy day. How can I glorify God through this? Hey, I'm going through a trial right now. How can God be glorified through this? Hey, life isn't what I would want it to be right now, but I'm just trusting God, and I'm asking him to get the glory through this situation because I certainly don't know what's going on here. Hey, I'm not really sure what the next 60 days or the next six months hold, but I know this, God will be glorified through my life. That much I know. Then that determines your behavior, how you live your life this week, right? If you're living for the ultimate glory of God. If the sinner believes... That there's nothing after this life. That idea is called annihilation. That at the end of this life when you die, it's just like turning the lights off in a room. It's just dark. And you cease to exist. You don't go anywhere. You just die. We just cover your body up with dirt and it's over. That's called annihilation. If the sinner believes in annihilation, then this life is all there is to it, right? Once I die, it's over. So I got to make the most of what I have here. So I'm going to live an unrestrained life. I'm going to be happy at whatever expense. I don't care who I have to step on to do it. I don't care who I have to hurt to do it. I don't care if I need to lie, cheat, steal. I got to get as much as I can because this is all there is. And I'm going to make this a good one. And You can do what you want to do. Frankly, I don't care because I've got to do what I can because I got to make hay while the sun's shining. If that's my belief, that will determine my behavior. If I don't believe that there's a God, I'm not accountable to God, sin isn't a thing, heaven and hell isn't real, then I gotta live my life how I want to. And the sinner does that. He says, I just wanna do what makes me happy. I'm setting God to the side. I've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. I've taken God out of his rightful place and I've put my own happiness or my own self in God's place and I'm living a life of idolatry and I'm not gonna restrain myself from sexual sin. I'm not gonna restrain myself from the pleasures of this world. And what happens? The Bible says the heart goes dark, the mind becomes corrupt And then it's only sin and destruction from then on out. But if you and I believe the Bible, and I hope that you do, the Bible says this in the book of Hebrews, it's appointed unto man once to die, after that, the judgment. So let this belief determine your behavior. When you take your last breath here on planet Earth, you will stand before a holy God and you'll give an account of your life. I want to help you prepare for that day with a lot of joy in your heart when you stand before God. I want to make sure that every single person I know avoids judgment on that day where you would be cast into hell because you're not a true follower of Jesus Christ. I wanna help you to avoid regret on that day that you're a Christian, but you stand before God empty-handed because you chased the things of this world and you neglected the things of God that the day that you stand before God, you stand before him empty-handed with nothing to show for your life. I wanna help you avoid that. I wanna help you stand before God in joy one day. But the belief has to impact your behavior. Look, every single day I live in full view of the idea that I will die very, very soon and I will stand before God and have to give an answer for my life. I think about that every single day. And so that belief that I'm gonna die very soon, you say, what's gonna happen? I don't know, but I know that I'm not promised tomorrow. James tells us, life is but a vapor. It appears for a short time and vanishes away. Look, you might be having my funeral next weekend. I wanna get a chance to finish out Romans chapter one. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? All he wanted to do was preach to the Book of Romans. He didn't he make it out of the first chapter? <laughs> hey, it's a possibility, right? So look, I'm living today. That if there's something that's not right between me and another human being, I'm going to make it right today because I don't have a promise for tomorrow. I'm going to love my kids and invest in them so that when my time comes, I have no regrets that I wish I'd spent more time with them. I wish I'd done this. I wish I didn't. I'm going to live like that, like today. And I'm going to live with the idea in mind that I will stand before God and have to answer for my life. That impacts every decision I make every single day. And I hope it does for you too because our belief determines our behavior. And so this is why the Bible says what we believe is so important that we have to guard our hearts and minds. The Bible commands us to guard our hearts and minds. What comes in my brain eventually goes to my heart, eventually makes its way out into my life. Keep your finger here in Romans one. we're coming back. Turn over to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians is such a power-packed book. We had the opportunity to to preach this a couple of years ago. Philippians chapter 4. I want you to look at this. It might be in your notes. Turn over there in your Bible because some of you are going to need this this week, next week, or the week after next. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6, 7, and 8. If you don't have these circled in your Bible, you need to circle them right now. Star them, underline them, commit them to memory. You're going to need these verses. I promise you that. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6 starts off with this. Be careful. That word be careful means don't worry. Don't worry for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I'm going to paraphrase verse 6 for you. Don't worry about anything. Just pray about it and thank God in advance because he's got it handled, okay? So when something comes up that you're anxious for, that you're worried about, like, oh, I don't know what's gonna happen to that, just stop for a second and don't worry about it. Pray about it and then thank God in advance that he's got it covered. Because if you do that, verse number seven has an incredible promise for you. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, verse 7 is just so power-packed, it's just not even funny. First of all, God's going to give you a peace that you can't even comprehend. It doesn't make sense that unsaved people, people that don't know Jesus, people that are not Christians, are going to look at you and go like, dude, you're crazy, what's going on? February of last year, my daughter McKeeley was in the hospital. We got a terrible prognosis for her. They didn't know if she was going to make it the next 24 to 48 hours. It was on a Sunday. I'd already preached two services. Went up to the, the church, to the, the hospital. We couldn't both be in the room at the same time because of COVID precautions and things like that. It was just bad, 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 bad. My wife and I, we prayed. We gave it to God. You know what we did? We went down to the cafeteria. We got Starbucks. We sat out on the Lanai and talked. We, we didn't cry. We didn't boo-hoo. We didn't start calling everybody we knew. We didn't, we just talked, had coffee. And then we prayed and my wife went back up to the room and I came back and I preached the five o'clock service. People were like, how could you do something like that? The peace of God which passes all understanding. I, I don't know how you have peace in a moment like that, but you do. I can't explain it to you. People looked at me and was like, You went back to church and you preached a five o'clock service when your daughter was in the hospital unconscious. Yo, what am I supposed to do? Sit in the parking lot and cry? Like I can't get in the room. I couldn't be there for my family. What should I do? How about I just trust God and just do what God's called me to do? And people look at that and go, how could you do something like that? It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. But it doesn't stop there. That's the thing I love about this verse. The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That word keep means to grab hold of like a bear hug or a rest. The peace that God gives you is gonna take your heart and mind and grab hold of them and pull them back. When your mind wants to go crazy and wonder and think on things that it shouldn't, the peace that passes all understanding is gonna grab a hold of your heart and mind and pull it back and not let it go. It's gonna keep your heart and minds. Well, who's gonna keep my heart and minds? What does the verse say? Who's gonna keep my heart and mind? Christ Jesus shall keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So when I'm worried, when I'm anxious, when I don't know how things are going to work out, I'm going to pray, I'm going to give it to God, I'm going to thank Him in advance because He's going to get it taken care of, and God's peace is going to come and grab a hold of my heart and mind and pull them back, and I will find rest in Jesus Christ. That's the promise. Well, I know, I, I've done that before, and i felt that peace before, and I, I feel at ease before, but then my mind begins to wonder. Good, because this passage isn't over yet. Verse number eight tells you, now that you have the peace of God, now that Jesus Christ has hold of your heart and mind, focus your heart and mind on these things. Verse number eight. I'm on the wrong page. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, it's important to note this is not the power of positive thinking, okay? There's new age garbage nonsense out there that says when you think negative thoughts that goes into the cells of your body and your body becomes negativity and you repel positivity and you attract negativity, So you need to stop thinking negative thoughts and flush that out of your system with a 48-hour detox. Just stop it, okay? That's not the case at all. But the Bible says, when negative thoughts come into your heart and mind, negativity will come out of your life. That's guaranteed. So don't think on things that are lies. Think on the things that are true. Well, nobody likes me. That's not true. Stop thinking that. Nobody cares about me. That's a lie. Stop thinking that. Well, God's probably forgot me because he doesn't answer my prayer. That's a lie. Stop believing it. Think on the things that are true, the things that are just, the things that are lovely. And so the Bible commands you to stop thinking garbage thoughts. Because here's the thing. We've got to guard our heart and minds. My daughter, McKeeley, she's 14. She's, we've never had a teenage girl before. Like, this is new, uncharted territory for the kings. We've had boys. Boys are easy. You, like, wrestle with your boys, and you punch them, and then they cry and go tell their mom. And, then <laughs> and she's like, don't be so hard on it." And the, the dads can say, it toughens them up. It's good for him. I mean, he needs to bleed a little bit, right? But, like, girls are, like, totally different. McKeeley's like, like, do you see this bump on my face? No, I don't see it. Look. I'm looking, and I don't see it. Ah. Why are you growling at me? I'm your dad. Like, don't growl at me. And she's like, oh. I am just like, I don't even, I don't, even I, don't, I don't know what to do. This T-shirt makes my hips look weird. No, it doesn't. Like, yes, It. how does a T-shirt make your hips look weird? And what do weird hips even look like? I don't know. But like, just like, ah, oh, stop growling at me. Like, I don't even know where to go with this. But we had a conversation this past week about, Thinking negative thoughts about yourself that just aren't true. And I said, sweetheart, you gotta stop it. You know, because again, every every teenage girl compares himself to every other teenage girl, every woman. They begin to say things like, well, my nose looks weird or my eyes are weird. Or, Maybe I should get my eyes tacked open and my ears tacked back. And I should get my lips filled because my lips are really skinny and I want to be bigger. And I got this weird thing in my nose. I think I want to fix that. And then, uh, you know, my arms are kind of flabby. and I think I'm going to do this. And you begin to pick yourself apart. And I told her, we're not going to do those things. And we're going to say, I'm perfect the way that God created me because I'm just me. And you got to be okay with just being you. The things that, that again, you're going to pick apart in yourself when you look at the mirror, you compare yourself to other people, that's what makes you uniquely you. And just, have you ever seen photos of those people who like take surgery and take it way too far where they don't even look human anymore? You know what happened? At some point, they were just like, I just need to fix this and this, and I think I'll be okay. And then they weren't okay because it's a never-ending cycle. And so I told her, you're fine just the way that God made you. And she says, you have to say that. You're my dad. I don't have to say anything. Like, if you're ugly, I'd say, well, at least you're sweet, you know? <laughs> I don't have to tell you that you're beautiful. I believe that you're beautiful. And if you weren't, I wouldn't lie to you, right? But, but here's the thing. And you go, well, well that's kind of extreme. No, it's not. I'm trying to teach my 14-year-old daughter to keep and protect her heart and mind. Don't buy into what the world says is beauty. You are beautiful because you love Jesus. I'm trying to help her protect her heart and mind. I tried to protect my boys that like, hey, you don't want a girl who's like showing everything to every guy that walks by. And let me just put this out here for for teenage girls and single ladies and and every other woman here as well. When you put out the meat, the only thing you attract is flies. You don't want, some of you will figure that out later, okay? (laughs) But, like, you don't have to put your body out there to be attractive. Boys, you don't need to look for girls that that expose themselves to try to gain your approval. You want a girl that loves Jesus. That's what you want out of your life. And so don't buy into the garbage of the world. You say, well, that doesn't really apply to anything. I'm trying to help you to protect your heart and minds. Because here's, here's what the Bible says. Again, our heart sets the trajectory of our lives. That's what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 Keep your heart. The order keep, protect, protect your heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. What comes into your brain and into your heart will eventually come out in your life. You cannot change that. But you can change what comes into your heart and mind. You can choose where you put your heart. David says in Psalm 57, verse number seven, my heart is fixed. Oh God, my heart is fixed. David, if if your heart out of your chest is like a laser beam, David fixed the laser beam of his heart on God. Not the things of this world, not the approval of other people or what other people think about him. He put his heart on God and that set the trajectory for David's life. My heart is fixed on God. Wherever you point your heart, that's where you go. If you ever noticed when you drive a car and you begin to like look out the window while you're driving, your car begins to drift over towards whatever you're looking at? You know, I took a motorcycle training course several years ago. That's a totally different story. But they say wherever you look is where your bike's going to go. Don't look at something if you don't want your bike to go there. The same way, is the same way with your life. Wherever your heart is pointed, that's where your life is going to go. You point your heart at the things of this world, your life will begin to reflect the things of this world. You put, point your heart towards garbage friends and garbage influencers, your life will eventually be garbage, no shock. Wherever you point your heart, that's where it goes. That's why we have to protect our heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. So we gotta filter what we allow in our hearts and minds. Our family made a decision meant 20 years ago, we don't watch already rated movies in our house. We don't go see them at the movie theater. We don't watch already rated movies at all. I praise God for, for services like VidAngel. If you're not familiar with that, write it down, VidAngel, V-I-D-Angel. Basically, it, it allows you to filter your Netflix, your your Hulu, and your Amazon Prime, so that it cuts out all foul language, all sex scenes, and I choose to leave on the violence. Uh, but <laughs> that's just my preference. Again... Um, because here's the thing, I can watch stuff, and I don't have to hear curse words, like ever. Like some of you, I get a, you're in a workplace, you don't have control of what other people say. You can control what goes on in your house. You don't have to listen to that garbage in your house. You don't have to listen to that garbage on your radio when you're coming home from work. You don't have to listen to music like that. And you say, oh, great, here goes the pastor preaching against movies and music. Hey, I'm trying to help you protect your heart and mind because I'm trying to help you not ruin your life again, so many times, again, I grew up in an era where, you know, they gave you a bunch of rules and you didn't really know what the rules were for. And you didn't really see a need in the rules. I remember um, (laughs) when I was a kid, there was this... uh, that our church did about the dangers of rock and roll music. I mean, all the parents came at five o'clock on Sundays to watch some VHS tape of some guy talking about the dangers of rock and roll music. And if you, if you played Stairway to Heaven backwards on a record player, it came out with these certain words and stuff like that. And uh, somebody had burned a bunch of Kiss albums, and the smoke that went up was black smoke. It's like, you burn black vinyl, you get black smoke. It's not satanic. It's just science, right? And so I remember as a kid going, this is the dumbest thing in the world, right? Because there was no connection between that and actual Christian living. It was just like rock music, bad, 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 bad. But here's the thing, I'm tr- connection I'm trying to make with you so I don't become just a bad, bad, bad guy. What you allow into your heart will eventually seep out into your life. If you make provision for filth coming into your heart, filth will eventually have a place in your home. And it doesn't doesn't fly. So I'm asking you to protect your heart and mind because the Romans one guy took God and pushed him out as far as he could until the point where God's like, fine, I'm not welcome here, I'll move on. I don't care, you can have whatever you want. And he, the sinful man took it and it began the downfall of his life. And so we got to filter what comes into our heart and minds, Christian. Turn back to Romans chapter one. So we find the man who is given over to idolatry, given over to sexual deviation, given over to sin. God has given him up not once, not twice, but three times. Now we see where God's not given them up to their vile affections. God's not given them up to dishonor their bodies with himself. God now gives the sinner up not to immoral acts, but to a depraved and corrupted mind any restraint that God tried to place, any obstacles that God put in their path are completely blown past at this point. And the man has gone headlong into sin. We see this in our society. Where again, there's no even acknowledgement of God. We're trying to strip God away from anywhere that we can. There's, There's... There's people that are trying to get in God we trust off the coins because God is so offensive to them. There's people who are trying to make their kids not say the Pledge of Allegiance because one nation under God is so offensive to them. We've already taken out the ability to pray before a football game. Places don't want to sing the national anthem and things like that. Where we, we see this in society where we've just pushed God out time and time and time again. And let me just say this this morning because I'm talking to mostly a room full of Christians. I am very much less concerned that your kids can't pray at a public high school football game, much more concerned that you never pray in your own home. That concerns me more than a bunch of sinners going to sin, Okay. Okay, fine, I'm going to gripe and complain because you can't put the Ten Commandments up in a school, okay? Whatever. I'm much more concerned that Christians don't take the Bible seriously in their own home. And please don't decry, you know, the filth of this world when you got filth on your television that your kids are watching in your own home. That concerns me, and I want you to be concerned by it as well. Again, I I, I fear at some point I'm going to be the old fashioned preacher who's preaching against all types of worldliness and stuff. But hey, let me just preach the Bible. And let us take the Bible as what it was intended for a guidebook for life. But now the the, the sinful man in Romans chapter 1 has been given up to a depraved mind that craves sin. We, We see this is not new. More than likely, one of the very first books of the Bible that was ever written and recorded was probably the book of Job. Most people believe that Moses wrote the book of Job probably before he ever wrote the book of Genesis. And here's what Job 21, verse 14 says to show you how far back this mindset goes. Therefore, they say, the people say unto God, depart from us, get out of here. For we desire not knowledge of thy ways. What's the almighty that we should serve him? And for what profit? if we pray to him, what's the use in following God? Who does he think he is? Why are we supposed to follow him and worship him? It doesn't even make sense. So from the beginning of man's existence, man has rejected God. And you know what God does when he's not welcome? He just takes a step back and gives you your space. One of my pet peeves that I have is that that Jesus is like the rejected boyfriend in the life of Christians or people where he's just standing at the door and knocking. He's out there so sad and so uh, disappointed because you won't let him in. He's knocking and he's waiting. Hey, please understand, Jesus doesn't grovel to anyone. You don't want him there. He's gone. You take a real look at the rich man that came to Jesus. What do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, sell everything you have and follow me. He, and the man walked away, sorrowful for he had many possessions. What did Jesus do? Jesus went on with life. He didn't be like, okay, buddy, come back. We'll, we'll figure this out, me and you. No, no, no. no. You, you don't want it? Go. And again, some people say, well, the Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's in the book of Revelation where God's talking to his own church that he bought with his own blood that has cast him out of his church. He's saying, hey, let me in. And please understand, he's not saying, hey, let me in because i like to hang out with you guys. Let me in because this is my church that I bought. And please understand that if you choose to walk away from, from God, God will continue to pursue you. But he doesn't pursue you with love song and flowers and chocolate. He pursues you with a whip. Read Hebrews chapter 12. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He punishes because he wants to get you back into a right relationship. So when you say like, oh, if I leave God, he's going to continue to pursue me. Or, and there's all these songs about Jesus pursuing me when I was running away and stuff like that. I, again, I always picture Jesus like pursuing you, like re- getting his whip ready to like whack, you know. Like, it's not like this Jesus is pursuing you with, like, a a box of chocolates. Like, come on back, buddy. No, it's like, you will come back. And here's the thing. If you're not a child of God, he won't pursue you in chastisement. He will pursue you in wrath. He's coming either way. But again, the idea that, that when God gets pushed out, he gets his feelings hurt. He's like, no, no, no. You want sin, have at it. Go for it. And the punishment is that he allows you and I to pursue our sin unhindered. That's punishment in and of itself because the end of sin is always, somebody help me, death 100% of the time. And you read verse number 22, or I'm sorry, verse number 32 in Romans chapter 1. What does it say? These people who did these things are worthy of death. So (laughs) when we push God out, we're only doing it to our own demise. And here's the thing, with a darkened heart and a depraved mind, the sinner continues a life and a lifestyle of wickedness. Can you look at verses 29, 30, and 31? We're getting to those next week. This is the fruit of the depraved and corrupt mind. This is where it goes. And it's just bad, bad, bad. If you've ever turned on the news or saw something on the internet that you look at and you go, how can a human being do something so despicable and disgusting? How can that happen? How can a human being do something like that? The answer lies in Romans chapter one. They forgot God. They made their own God who wasn't God. They changed the truth of God into a lie. They pursued their own sin to their own demise to the point where their heart was darkened, their mind was corrupted, and all they knew how to do was sin and what came out. And again, we're shocked by this. No, no, no this is word for word what the Bible said would happen. We just get to see it with our own eyeballs. And so, mind you, verse number 21, and in verse 21, their foolish heart was darkened. Verse number 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. So, mind you, any light that was in their heart is gone and it's just darkness in their heart. Their mind has now been corrupted by an appetite for sin and they just can't get enough. And so it's really important to understand when we talk through here in Romans chapter 1, most of us know somebody who we would say, He's a really good guy. He's a really good gal. And if they ever got saved, they'd just be a phenomenal Christian. They're just good people, right? Just kind and sweet, we'll give you a shirt off their back. They're not, a, they're not a Christian. They don't believe in God. They're not religious. They're just good people. You read Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 does not sound like good people. It sounds like wickedness. And so when we talk in Romans chapter one about the man who has said, I have no need for God, I'm gonna do my own thing. We're not talking about good people who happen to do bad stuff. We're talking about wicked people who revel in wickedness, who might have the proclivity to do something that we might find valuable in our society. Oh, they always bring cookies for the soccer team after the game, and they've never missed a game, always bring warm chocolate cookies. such good people. We find one thing that's valuable about these people, and we believe they're not really that bad. But when the Bible speaks of the man who says, I have no need for God, there's nothing redeemable, nothing valuable that he finds here. And so the rebellion of the sinner coupled together with his depraved mind, make him an enemy of God. Man, again, I'm talking we're going from like bad to worse to really, really worse to really, really dark now is where we're at. We're at dark. Because not only are you a sinner, this man has become an enemy of God. Now, it's interesting to know when it Comes down to the enemies of God. I personally try to put them into two different categories. You have the active enemies of God, people who hate God, hate the Bible, hate Christians actively with their full-throated disapproval of all things that have to do with God. Like, I don't even use cash anymore because it has in God we trust. And I hate God so badly. These are the enemies shake their fists in the face of God, hate God. I would call them active enemies of God. And then there's the passive enemies of God. Like, I ain't mad at God, I just don't have any use for Him, you know? Like, I'm not, like, against them. If you want to do that, that's fine for you. It's not for me. I got my own thing going on. Like, I just want to do what makes me happy. You do what makes you happy. We're fine. The people in the second category are still the enemies of God. They're just probably more passive enemies of God. They're not actively against God, but at the same time, they have no need for the things of God. And you said, well, that doesn't really necessarily make them the enemies of God, does it? Well, what does the Bible say? Turn a few pages over to Romans chapter 8, if you would. If you're in Romans, just turn over a couple pages to the right to Romans chapter 8. Verse number, let's start in verse number 5. Romans chapter 8, verse number 5. For they that are after the flesh... Do mind the things after the flesh. The people that live for themselves in this world, they're worried about, concerned for, mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit should mind the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity, that means has made them an enemy against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse number 8 says they have purposely disobeyed the laws of God to fulfill their own flesh. So you can't be a friend of God unless you're following God. So if you're not with Him, you're against Him, you're an enemy of God. Now, hold on for just a second. Christian, you say, I've been saved, I've been born again, I'm a child of God. Good. If you have a carnal mind and you're chasing after your own sinful ways, you have made yourself, while a child of God, you've also made yourself an enemy of God at the same time. Is that possible? I think it is. I think it is. Here's the worst part about it. The worst part about it. The unsaved man doesn't know any better He's just living for himself. He's trying to be happy. He's pushed God out. God's given him up. But for a blood-bought child of God to turn his back on his own father to chase the things of this world, that's like next-level betrayal. That's hard. I don't know about you, but man, to study through, like, military history and people who have, like, Sold U.S. secrets to like the KGB and to China and stuff like that, man. I don't know about you, but like, like put a rope around the neck, throw them off the nearest overpass, let them hang for a couple of days, right? Like treason. That, that's like, like you're killing innocent Americans and selling us down the road for what, money? Like that's shameful. Christians who turn their back on their father that saved them from their sin to chase after their sin again? What? That doesn't even make sense. But that's what it says. And those, those that are in the flesh, you can't please God with your life. So Heavy stuff there. Turn back to Romans chapter one. So again, this passage is hard. It's heavy. It's intense. I get it. But please understand this when it comes to the Bible. Whether there's darkness, there's always gonna be light. Always. And so the answer For the darkened heart and the depraved mind is the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the acceptance of the gospel. Here's the silver lining. Here's the light in the darkness, folks. Jesus says in John chapter 16 when he's getting ready to leave, he tells his apostles, hey, guys, I'm going to leave, and it's actually a good thing for you that I leave because when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to come, and when he comes, he's going to reprove the world of sin. What that means is he's going to convict you and show you when you're wrong. For the Christian, you have the gift of having the Holy Spirit inside of you so that when you sin against God, you feel conviction. You feel guilt. You feel a desire to make things right with God. That's a gift that you've been given by the Holy Spirit. Don't ever try to turn that off because when you quench the Spirit of God, you put yourself in a dangerous, dangerous situation. But here's the thing about the Holy Spirit for unbelievers The Holy Spirit gives external conviction of sin. That when the sinner finds themselves in the depths of their depravity and they begin to look around and say, I don't know how I got here. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to get out of this mess that I'm in. And then they're confronted with the gospel. The Holy Spirit draws them to Christ. That's a gift. Now, you can resist the Holy Spirit all you want to, You can choose to continue to go against God if you choose to. But if you find yourself in a hole, some good advice was given to me a long time ago. If you find yourself in a hole, what should you do? Anybody want to help? Stop digging. And if the Holy Spirit offers you a hand, you should probably take it. And here's the good news of the gospel. If you've sinned against God, you're in good company because all of us have. If you've chosen at some point in your life to forget God and go your own way, congratulations, you joined every other human being on planet Earth. Now, the depths of your depravity might have been deeper than mine or be deeper than somebody else, but the fact doesn't matter, we all needed help out of the hole that we were in. And God sent his son, and his name was Jesus, to pay the penalty of our sin because left to our own devices, not only do we live a life of sin, which brings destruction, it ultimately brings death, not only physical death, but also spiritual death where we're separated from God for all of eternity in hell. That's what we deserve because we've broken God's law. But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus paid the price for my sin and yours when he died on the cross of Calvary. He shed his blood as payment for all of our sins what kind of sins every sin in the book folks regardless of what you've done how far you've dug Jesus can meet you where you are and get you out of that hole not just today but for every single day in the future and take you to heaven when you die what a gift but here's here's the catch you have to choose that for yourself you got to make a decision. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe He's the only way to heaven. I believe that He has the power to save me from my sin, and I'm asking Him to forgive me as I turn from my sin. you got to make a decision in full faith and repentance. You have to. And when you do that, it's called being saved or born again. Jesus says in John chapter 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You have to be saved to go to heaven, because otherwise you are 100% in your own sin. And you got to pay for it. So the bright spot in Romans chapter one is as dark as it gets. It's not so dark that the light of Jesus Christ cannot find you and save you. And once the sinner is born again, the mind is transformed by the word of God and the spirit of God. I want you to hear this. Once the heart has been darkened and the mind has become corrupt, all it takes is for the light of the world, who is Jesus Christ, to come into your heart, to light that heart back up again, and the Word of God and the Spirit of God to begin to unravel the mess of your mind. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're probably going to get there in about three or four years, but I'll give you a foretaste. Romans chapter 12, verse number one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse two, awesome. And be not conformed. That word conformed means pressed into the mold of. Don't be cut out by the cookie cutter of this world. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, changed into something that you've never been before. How? By the renewing of your mind... So that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So here's the beauty. Regardless of how far somebody gets gone down the road of Romans chapter 1, you can always come back through Jesus and the Word of God. Always. There's no such thing as a lost cause with God. There's no somebody who's too far out that they can't be brought back by the grace of God. It just doesn't exist. It's not even a thing. So... There's hope for everybody. But here's the thing too, again, Christians, I'm talking to a majority of Christians today. I know, I know the majority of people in this room's story of how you, you came to faith in Christ. And so I'm talking primarily to the Christians this morning. That renewing of your mind is a continual work that has to continue to take place day by day. Every single day until you see Jesus face to face, you gotta make sure that your, your head and your heart's straight. Because the world is still working on you to corrupt your heart and mind. Oh, you can't be happy following Jesus. Christians don't have a good time. God's just out to keep you from having fun. Why would you want to do that? You need stuff to have fun. You need alcohol to have fun. You need women to have fun. You need guys to have fun. You need pornography to feel fulfilled. You deserve to be happy. And we have to protect our hearts and minds and say, that's garbage. I don't need any of that. I just need Jesus. We've got to get our hearts and our heads that way. And so... Important to understand in closing here today. When we exchange the truth of God for a lie, we call evil good and good evil. Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We live in a society today where, where sin is celebrated, where they call the things that God says are evil, they call them good. Like the fact that there are major corporations in America that are celebrating the fact, hey, we care about our employees so much that we will fly them to places in America where they can legally kill their unborn children, and we celebrate this. That's shameful. And here's the thing. Abortion is a political thing. It's a biblical thing. God says life begins at conception. It is what it is. You don't like it. You just disagree with God. That's all but we have corporations that celebrate the fact that they're against God. And we, as Bible-believing Christians, are meant to be the bad guys, the intolerant, the whatever political labels they want to throw on us. Now we're just Biblicists who just believe in God and believe that God's greater than anything else. But when we live in a society that's changed the truth of God into a lie, everything gets switched up. Final thought here today, and this is for Christians as well. When we choose a path of disobedience, we forfeit God's favor and His protection. Look, you don't get the good stuff from God while you're living in sin and living for yourself. If you push God to the side, God says, okay, fine. I'll be here when you're ready. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 1. This last passage of Scripture we'll look at and we're done today. Proverbs is a book of wisdom written by the wisest man to ever live outside of Jesus. His name was Solomon. Solomon had boys, and before he died, he wrote his boys a letter and gave them everything he knew about life and wisdom. And God made that part of his word for you and I. Wisdom spoken by the wisest man to ever live, Proverbs chapter one, we'll take a look. If you read one proverb a day, there's, one, there's uh, 31 Proverbs, one for every day of the month. So you, you can read one proverb a day, you will never exhaust the wisdom that's found in Proverbs. I promise you that. But Proverbs is encouraging us to find wisdom. And so Solomon speaks in Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 20, about wisdom, speaking of her as a woman. Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets, Proverbs one twenty, She crieth in the chief places of the concourse and the openings of the gates in the city. She uttereth her words, saying, how long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? Simple ones are those that don't know any better. You're ignorant. You're new to this. You haven't sought out wisdom, how long will you enjoy being ignorant, and the scorners, these are the people who hate wisdom, make fun of wisdom, how long will you delight in your scorning, and fools hate knowledge, but turn to you at my reproof, turn to me, and I'll pour out my spirit on you, I will make known my words unto you, because I've called you, and you've refused, I stretched out my hand, and no man is regarded, but you said it naught, You pushed away all my counsel, would not, and would none of my reproof. You don't want to hear what I have to say. Look at what he says in verse twenty-six. This is God speaking. I'll also laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when your fear cometh. For when your fear cometh as desolation, your destruction comes as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, and then they shall call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For they that they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not of my counsel, and they despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat of their fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. You want to live your life without God? Go ahead. But don't call him up like he's 911 to get you out of a pickle when you're in it, because he's like, hey, you want this? Go for it. Take it. And again, you look at that and you go, wow, that's really harsh of God to do stuff like that to me. No, no, no. He's saying, I'm literally standing here with my hand out for you and you don't want to take it. I'm telling you everything that you need to do and you don't want to do it. So when you find yourself in a mess, I'm just going to stand back and watch the mess that you've made. And you go, well, that doesn't sound very kind of God. Here's how kind God is, though. In the book of James, you know what God says? Draw nigh unto me, and I will, what does he say? Draw nigh unto you. If you come back, I'm coming back too. Great promise that he gives us in First John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But he's not going to be pushed to the side and break glass in case of emergency kind of God for you. He's either going to be there or he's not. And you get to make the choice for that, even for Christians. You decide you want to follow Jesus, follow him with your whole heart. Be all in, 100%. Whatever he says, I'm just going to do it because I know he knows better than I do. As opposed to like, I really want to stay out of hell, but I really want to stay in my sin. It doesn't work that way. And bottom line, bottom line, every single person in this room and every single person on planet earth will stand before God one day. Are you ready for that day? If not, you should totally get ready today. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.